When it comes to quality assurance, the hot buzzwords are automation and moving left. It's true that automated testing beats manual, but throwing a bunch of automated tests on your UI just to increase your test coverage isn't productive. A holistic QA approach means everyone from product to engineering to business stakeholders is on board. In this episode, we speak to QA leader David Morgan about building a quality-focused organization from scratch, changing processes and culture, and implementing behavior-driven development that empowers stakeholders to speak and share a common language of software quality. David, thanks for joining us. Really cool to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's really great to be here. That's awesome. Uh, so would you please give, you know, maybe a two, three minute introduction of, of yourself and your work, you know, just so the audience can get to know you a little bit and then we'll, we'll dive in a, a little bit deeper on some topics. Yeah, sure. You know, I kind of started my com- computer career, a uh, CS major at uh, Florida Institute, Institute of Technology. And, um, Went through the normal classes doing some development stuff and had the pleasure of having uh, Dr. James Whitaker as a professor who's kind of like a godfather of exploratory testing. Um, he's, he's written a couple books, How to Break Software, How Google Tests. Um, really great guy, but really kind of piqued my interest in, in um, you know, more the testing side of uh, software development. You know, quick background, I've, I've bounced between being both a developer and QA. And then at my current company, we... Uh, weren't doing much testing uh, is kind of the case <laughs> with a lot of companies when it comes to doing uh, software development. Uh, QA kind of gets, you know, shifted shifted off the plate a little bit as you're trying to meet some deadlines. So um, we, we started to focus a little bit more on quality and I was, um, you know, put in charge of creating a team here. Uh, we created a QA team, basically took off running with that, uh, trying to implement some more agile um, QA practices within a company and, you know, kind of fighting for our testing space uh, within, a, within a development team. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I, or how I got to where I am. I, I've, I've had the nice perspective of being both, you know, on the developer side and the QA side. So I, I know the challenges of both. So you're like, you're like Tron now, you know, you fight for the QA users. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. You and I had this neat chat about, you know, how, if you think about the you know, development life cycle and, you know, from just from start to finish of where, you know, software comes from that um, QA, you know, will say, and people will talk about, you know, um, QA shifting left and security shifting left and, and mm-hmm. things of, of that nature in that process. You know, what is that process? And as it relates to QA, you know, maybe tell some of that story of how you were able to shift QA left instead of, uh, like you said, shifting completely off the plate and becoming <laughs> you know, somewhere in the basement with technical debt remediation, right? So, That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. What's that like? I mean, you had to transform an organization into thinking that way. What is that leftward shift? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a, a lot of people these days say, you know, talk about shifting left or uh, QA automation or, you know, that's, that's kind of the big buzzwords of, of what QA people are trying to do. But I think some of that's a little misunderstood. Um, a lot of them are taking manual test cases and then automating UI test cases. And then they go, you know, haha, we shifted left. <laughs> and, and that's not exactly the case. That's not, that's not really where you want to be. You're Obviously, automation is better, you know, much better than, than manual testing, um, but that's not really where you need to stop. There, there's, you can go way further left than, than just having a whole bunch of UI automation. So when we started, uh, or when I was able to start this group within the company, I uh, reached out to a couple people, including uh, Whitaker, you know, ex-professor, still, still friends with them. He hooked up 
with a guy named uh, Jason Arbon, and we, you know, we had some discussions about what what shifting left means in a in a software organization. Their advice to me was, um, you know, hire more like a software engineer and test type role. Get get people within your Scrum teams that understand software. They're they're past developers, architect type people that that understand what quality software means. It's if if you design quality in from the start, if you have good unit tests, if you're doing integration testing, that that's a great place to say you've shifted left. But even before that, it, it comes up to, as an organization, it comes down to your, your product managers, your product owners, your salespeople defining good quality requirements. <clears throat> um, there's a couple ways to do that. Uh, one of which, you know, is <clears throat> this uh, behavior-driven development, kind of an extension of test-driven development. is something that we've We've implemented in some cases and, and had some success with. That's really where you can you can empower your your product managers, your your sales team, everybody to speak speak a common language that can drive some of your testing. You know, people are familiar with using um, Cucumber. You know, is pretty popular out there these days. And then that's all driven off um, Gherkin, which is a language or the syntax of, of how you define your acceptance criteria. So we were able to get all our user stories. You know, different teams kind of had different different styles, how they wrote their stories, how they if they hopefully even did acceptance criteria, how they wrote those. Anyway, we were able to kind of drive that process and help unify uh, all the acceptance criteria into this common format which makes it so much easier for your developers to understand what they're supposed to be developing, what the end state of what they develop is. It makes it you can, you know, use some of this tooling to do some of the automation for your tests, as well as give, you know, your your embedded QA folks, um, you know, some direction for how they do their testing. And so QA really goes all the way back to the design process, you know, and just the, the mode of thinking that, from the organization standpoint, we're going to build quality software. You know, it sort of reminds me of like the, you know, automotive, I don't know which company it is, but you know, quality is job one. Is that, is that the methodology then? I totally agree with that. And, and I mean, to further that point, there's the big push now is even DevOps. You know, everybody's doing DevOps, DevSecOps, DevBiz. You know, there's a million and one DevOps things people are doing these days and just throwing more and more, you know, groups into that. But if, if you're doing DevOps, say, say you, you have this awesome CI, CD pipeline that you set up and you're deploying code, but you're not doing any testing, you're just deploying bad code faster. So it's, if, you're, if you're an organization that's trying to release you know, products and you're not baking quality in from the start, you're going you're gonna to quickly get yourself in trouble um, you know, getting down the road with with getting way behind on testing. And it's almost, you get to a point where it's too late, right? You're, now you have this product out there, maybe some customers are using it. You realize, hey, we didn't use dependency injection. We didn't, you know, we didn't bake in some of this stuff that ensures that you can do quality testing. Um, then you're, you're at a point where now you're refactoring code without tests to back it up. <laughs> and kind of winging a prayer, hoping that your refactoring goes okay. I think baking quality in from the get-go, if you have to have that mindset, if you can get, like I said, the business side, I mean, who should be driving your software, if you can get them in a mindset of, hey, yes, we want this feature, uh, but we also need to, you know, spend some time making sure that feature works exactly how we want it to, um, and we're not exposing any weaknesses. So if it's really an organizational mindset that you have to adapt. Which you would think, of course, would be 
everyone's default mindset. But by I think by the nature of being the default, you then become the ignored. You know, so we we now take it for granted that well we just do that because we hire great people. So you know you don't need to have a disciplined function to track a thing that we do anyway. And I think yeah, that that's yeah. the fallacy of you know sort of being thinking you're you're doing quality without implementing quality. Yeah, I mean I've heard why do we need QA people? Let's just hire better developers. I mean, it's as, as someone, you know, with a QA heart, <laughs> that, that's a, a, a hard thing to hear. Yes, you should have developers that write unit tests, integration tests, that know how to do testing. You know, testing is owned by the team. You know, quality is owned by the team and the organization. But there is, a, there is an art to it. It is a different mindset. Like I said, I've been on, I've been on both sides of the fence. And, and when you're in developer mode, and yeah, you, you write some unit tests, you know, you do some of this stuff, but you're, you're really focused on, you know, driving the business. And, and hey, you know, my, my product owner, we really need to get this feature. You know, the CEO says this, whatever. You, you get kind of in that, in that mode. If you don't have someone with that, that, that testing mindset, a little more specific, there's, there's a skill set there that you don't necessarily have as a developer. And a lot of kids, you know, coming out of college don't necessarily learn. I was fortunate. I, you know, I have a pretty prominent um, testing personality, you know, in the world today um, that I got to have as a professor. So I got lucky. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of kids don't get that. So driving some of these practices um, amongst new grads and older developers, <laughs> you know, they also didn't get this uh, testing and they've become a little bit more set in their ways. So it, it's a tough thing to push. And I think we often hear about, you know, automated testing you talked about, you know, it's sort of, you get to the point where properly written user stories and, you know, the, the syntax of uh, and semantics of doing that properly should get you to the point where you can test some things because there are things that you can code a test around. However, you know, from the behavior standpoint and the qualitative standpoint, it's simply impossible to imagine that you can create tests that will check off every requirement, you know, so every use case and every acceptance criteria. Do we accidentally convince ourselves that we ought only to write acceptance criteria that we can automate a test for, and thus we miss the main business objective of the quality? Yeah, I think, again, you know, automation, awesome. But it does provide, I think, a little bit of a false sense of security. Um, uh, you know, people get this warm fuzzy that all their automation is running and they have this awesome dashboard and look, it's all green. Little do you know, I mean, as a trivial example, like somebody messed up the font and now every header on your web page looks ridiculous. Well, it passes automation, right? <laughs> yes, that, you know, that title shows up or whatever your, you know, silly test is. But the, the human element is lost in that. And I'm a huge proponent of exploratory testing and manual testing um, to some degree within any process. Um, and even even rechecking stuff that you've done in the past, I, th I think going through some scenario-based manual testing um, to verify just that the the user experience exists. That's I think that gets lost in some of this a little bit, you know, robotic testing. Like I said, you, you fall back and just as long as that dashboard looks good, we're, we're good to go. Um, and and if you lose that human interaction, I I think. Um, you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice that, that your website really might not be the most fun website to come and visit and it's clunky and yeah, you can add things to your shopping cart, but it takes, you know, 13 clicks, which pass tests, 
but as a user, you hate it. You know, obviously the, the agile QA pyramid, you know, with base unit test integration all the way up and has manual testing in there. And I, I think people tend to focus so hard on automation that they, they tend to lose um, some of that human touch to the testing, which again comes back to what we talked about earlier. There, there's a mindset there. There's, there's something that a, a QA person, a testing mindset person should be doing when, when they're, they're flipping through a web page or your so, whatever your application is. Yeah, absolutely agree. And it's, it's really all about that that discipline and uh, UX plays a huge part in that and the product design to you know, just make sure that we're not building 100% test coverage of an awful thing. You know, and uh, <laughs> um, hey, let me pivot for a second. Sure. Sort of final question. We are in the business, as you know, of distributed engineering teams and also in the business of having the most robust and you know, excellent vetting process known to man for you know, engineers, senior engineers. So you put those two things together. And I just wonder, as like a career engineer, you know, how do you if we're collecting the best heuristics for what makes, you know, an absolutely fantastic remote onsite, what have you, senior engineering person in software, how do you think about that? You know, what are, what are your mechanisms and heuristics b being in the space? I mean, for us locally, I've always tried to hire, we call it the three A's. So we base a lot of our hiring on, in this order, attitude, number one aptitude number two, ability number three. And I, I think this, you know, comes comes part, especially with remote teams. It, it, it covers both bases, really, on-site and remote teams. Is number one, the attitude is fitting with the team, I think is probably the utmost important thing for having a successful software development group. Number two, aptitude. How well can someone learn what you're doing? So, you know, for us, we've, we've had brought people in with no testing background whatsoever. You know, software engineers that never really focus on testing, never really wrote much unit tests, but they had good architectural knowledge. Um, they can go through, we knew they could do code reviews and really started start learning and becoming ingrained in that QA mindset, which we've had great success with. I mean, some of the best people on my team are had never done testing. You know, the number three ability is um, kind of our, our last point of, of what we hired. It's okay, you know, Selenium, you know, Protractor, you know, uh, MS test and, you know, whatever, you know, oh, that's great. You, you know that stuff. We know you can learn it, you know, um, but but really, it's it's that attitude and aptitude I think that make great engineers, um, and and at least in building great teams. So that that's really what we look for. As far as tech space, really, uh, as long as you have some general concept of of that pyramid I talked to, and try and I mean, for us it, as an organization that's trying to move to a, a, a agile QA process, getting buy-in, you know, based on that that attitude that that we're a team that can kind of drive this single force of quality and what is actual, you know, good quality work, what is good quality testing practices, what are good user stories. Um, how do you force quality into an organization? Um, that, that's really what we look for. Fantastic. Well, David Morgan, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was great. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.
Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to Gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.